Shio, shio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Creative Native. I am really excited to share this conversation with you. It was good for my soul, and I hope it will be good for yours as well. I have to start, though, and tell you a little bit about how I met Elise. I um, was just starting my PhD, and I was trying to find research on Native athletes and real Native Americans playing sport in modern society. And when you go to Google Scholar or any kind of database and type in Native American athletes or Native American sport, you're mostly going to find research about mascots and all the literature is about the mascot issue. And so I was really frustrated. And then finally, one day I found a dissertation by Elise Ali Joseph, and she did her dissertation on Native athletes using using their sport to obtain higher education. And I ripped through that thing and just devoured every word because it was exactly what I was looking for. And it was exactly what I needed to really inspire me and guide me for my own dissertation journey. And I reached out to her and I'll never forget her saying that she kind of um, yelled out in like just happiness when she got my email and we have been connected ever since. We've attended a couple of uh, NCAA events, including the inclusion forum together. Um, she's a faculty athletic rep for her, her um, institution, Northern Arizona, and she's just such a great role model and someone I just value so much as a colleague, a friend, and just a role model all around. And I hope uh, to one day kind of, um, be as good as she is. And she is a really just a great person in my life. And I think that, um, our conversation here about kind of the state of native, native athletics and, um, our native communities will hopefully provide you with a little bit of insight and, um, better understanding of the things that our people go through, um, especially in these times of pandemic and crisis and craziness. So, um, without further ado, I'm going to let you get into the episode and please um, feel free give us feedback. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, rerun that, email me nataliewelch8 at gmail and um, hope you enjoy. Take care. Stay healthy. So Elise, we, this weekend we would have been at the NCAA inclusion forum. Um, makes me sad to think that we're, that it's not happening, but, um, how did you get involved with NCAA? Um, I, I guess you want maybe start back to being an athlete yourself. Definitely. Yeah. It was pretty sad. I was on a call with, I said, on the, uh, minority opportunity including committee at the NCAA. So we had our, our calls the last few days on Zoom. And we were all pretty sad that we weren't there in person and seeing each other and telling our stories and sharing our experiences, but we're doing the best we can now. So, yeah, so I, you know, when I start to tell my story, um, I like to acknowledge that we all have different spaces that we we create and that have been created for ourselves. And I say that athletics and education are my story and really the space that I created and um, I hope to create for others. And that when I speak to people, and I, and I hope people feel this, but I, I like to say that I pledge to use my access to create someone else's entry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that both of us are college professors, both, both of us are Native, and if you think about it, that's the space that's, but we don't see a lot of Native people in, and so I feel, like, I feel like it's definitely my and our responsibility to help create that space for someone else. And, um, you know, we both love sports, and luckily um, sports and athletics helped me to get this space. So I grew up a four-sport athlete and loved playing sports. Um, my mom says, my mom was a tennis player, and she says, you started playing, playing tennis in utero because... Uh, she played a bunch of tennis tournaments when she was like eight eight months pregnant with me. So wow. I don't think I had a chance. Yeah, I don't think I had a chance of not playing sports. <laughs> so, um, and I'm Oklahoma Choctaw. 
uh, but I did not grow up in my community. My my grandparents came over from Oklahoma in the 40s um, to California for more economic availability and opportunity, like a lot of, of Native people in Oklahoma at that time. So, unfortunately, I didn't grow up in my community. Uh, I grew up in Northern California, where my parents um, really got into to sports and country through tennis. And when I say I played tennis in college, especially to Native people, they look at me like, what the heck? They want to have a court on the ranch. How did you expect that? Right, right. But but again, I grew up in a more urban area in in Northern California. So um, sport has always been a piece of me, a piece of my identity, um, and ingrained in my daily life and my daily activity. And really was the motivating factor for me to get to college. And again, I tell my students this, and I say, I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but really the main reason I wanted to go to college was to play play tennis. And that was my my motivating force. Um, but it really gained me access to education. I got my foot in the door, and I've always you know, loved school as well, but I think I love sports more. Mm. And then once you get to... <laughs> Once you get into school, you, you find your niche and you find your passion. Um, and I did with Native American Studies at UC Davis where I played tennis. And, um, you know, unlike a lot of Native, you know, where education brought me back to my community, and I think we talk a lot about where, you know, you have to leave your, leave your community to pursue a higher education. And that was different for me because I already left um, I had, you know, of course, connections there and I was going back, but pursuing my education and, and then my master's brought me back to my community where I went back and I, I wrote our history history of our education in the Choctaw community because that's what my community wanted and needed, and so that's what I did. Um, mm-hmm. So it really gave me that access back. Yeah. So, so, so then again, I decided to, you know, my tennis career is over, definitely not good enough to play professionally, but um, I think I I learned a lot through playing a sport in college. And when I was at Davis, I started thinking about, uh, like, where's, where's all the Native athletes? And looking around, certainly there weren't, there weren't any tennis players, but um, like there was one Native, California Native baseball player at Davis. And so I, that just kind of started sticking in my mind, like, why aren't, why don't I see more natives playing a sport in college? Um, because it, you know, it paid my way, it kept me my grades up, it kept me healthy. I had a community right when I walked on that college campus. Um, and then when I went to start pursuing my master's, I was taking a higher ed course, and one of my colleagues, Nanaba Brewer, who we presented with um, a couple years at the Inclusion Forum, who you met, who's Gabo, and she's awesome. She was yeah. a two-sport athlete at UNM. Um, now she's the head volleyball coach and athletic director at Haskell. Um, so I guess I meant she was my colleague. We were in class together, and she was doing a a presentation on Native collegiate athletes, and she had this graph of data up there. And a couple of years, what well, many years, 2002, 2003, when I, when I was playing at Davis, and it broke down by, you know, race, ethnicity, sport, and then year. And so I looked at tennis in 2002, 2003, and there was only three native tennis players um, in all of NCAA Division One, Two, and Three. And I so thought, crazy. holy moly, like, I yeah. see myself right there. That's me. That's me, yeah. yeah. And then and then the other one was my brother. My brother was playing tennis. <laughs> right. <and> so, <laughs> And then the other I didn't know, but I'm sure they were awesome. Um, but that just really, again, kind of pushed me to think of, you know, access, equity, inclusion, and why don't we have more natives pursuing a sport in college? And so my whole, that started to pursue my PhD, um, and that was my whole, my whole data and my whole project was, um, you know, interviewing and talking with these phenomenal, resilient, awesome, motivating role models, um, contemporary and and 
and teach a Native athlete that had played in the past. And so um, it was such an awesome experience to talk about the kind of risk and protective factors that really inspired but then prohibited them from pursuing a sport and 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 talking about the resilience and looking more of, of that positive approach other than a deficit model because I think, as you know, when we talk about really Native research or Native people in general, unfortunately, it, a lot of times it comes from this deficit approach of, well, what are, what are communities doing wrong and why do we see all these ailments? Um, but we have to change that dialogue and discussion to look at what are we doing right and how can we build off of that. And so, fortunately, I had a great team of 10 athletes that we wrote our dissertation, my dissertation together. They were my co-writers. And, um, and I think from that work, um, and as you know, because your dissertation was similar looking at Native athletes giving back to community, there's not a lot of literature out there. There's not a lot of work. So um, it was really fascinating and rewarding to be kind of one of the front runners of doing this work and then you know, it led me to you um, and it led me to meeting more of all these amazing people it really led me to my work with NCAA because um, I'm the first native that's ever sat on the minority committee um, I, I think I'm the first one that came walked in the door and said what are you doing for native um, support that we're looking at, that we tell stories and hearing about these um, amazing journeys that these student athletes are taking and then giving back to their communities. Um, and so, long story short, here we are. Um, and yes, we were supposed to go on our topic. You know, we, we, um, we had five panelists, right? Um, yeah. Um, uh, another Native athlete, another uh, Mexican-American and uh, Hispanic and Asian american student athlete and talking about, you know, our experiences where the numbers aren't great, but we still matter and our, our stories matter and, you know, we want to be able to tell these stories so future generations can build off of them and pursue, pursue their dreams and their goals. Yeah, I mean, so much there I want to expand on, but I I love the the story of you like seeing those numbers and realizing like, oh crap, like that's me and that's my brother. Like that to me, I can't even imagine like seeing that. And it is like when you look at those numbers, it's just so depressing. <laughs> and it's just like how why like you just want to know like why is this you know why isn't this better? And I love what you said about like, we're, we're at this place where we can provide opportunities. And um, I also want to go back because you talked about how like you didn't necessarily grow up in your community, but you were able to kind of, you know, reconnect. And you, I think that's a big misconception, I think, too, of most, you know, either people think that all natives live on reservations, or they don't understand that we have a lot of times they don't understand you can have culture outside of a reservation, right? Right. And right. And, and, you know, I, and I tell, because I, I worked, you know, at Northern Northern University on the faculty and applied indigenous studies and the faculty athletic representative there. So I worked at a university that's very supportive of, of native community university and to be the leading, the top university serving, serving native students and community. So we have, and we're surrounding, we, you know, we have 22 tribes in Arizona. Um, and so we have a lot of Navajo, Hopi, Apache, a lot of Arizona natives that did grow up on, you know, in their communities on the reservation and had to leave. And so it's interesting to have a conversation with my students because, yes, I'm very different when with a lot of my students further. You know, they're like I said, they're leaving it. They're leaving their home to pursue an education. Um, and then my husband is Hopi, mm. who I mean, Hopi was his first language. He's very traditional. It's you know, it's harvesting time, it's planting time right now, and so it's hard not to be back on Hopi and helping out um, because that's kind 
part of the process, but we can't do that right now because we're, you know, home, being safe with our family. Um, and so it, we laugh because, like, Hopi and Choctaw could be two different, more different tribes and communities as far as um, the process of culture. Um, you know, with, with a lot of Oklahoma communities, we're removed from our traditional homelands um, and then became, had to become kind of, I don't like to say civilized, but all air quote civilized. Right. Um, to, right. you know, to, to live and to sustain ourselves. And so, unfortunately, and it's, it's getting better now with language revitalization and whatnot, but um, where you got to Hopi and you still, you know, the culture so strong. Every weekend there's something going on. You see the little kids speaking the language. Um, and so we always laugh like, Opian Choctaw are so different. Um, but that doesn't make one more more relevant than the other, right? As you said, it's like we're all we're all native but we and we all share similar stories but um, um, we all have differences as well and well as well, but that's what makes us awesome and beautiful and strong and, and whatnot. So um, we all have great same. like aunties and like we there's all kinds of little sync synchron like there's all these little things that I'll never forget when I met Alvina Begay and she's Navajo and we were talking about our grandma's playing bingo it's like little things like that that I love that you know you just can't it's hard to, you can't put a you know one there's not one way to be native like that's I think what people struggle with so much is that um, we're such a, and we're, it's not really, you know, people, there's a lot of arguments around like the race and ethnicity piece, but it's so much more of a, it's spiritual, it's political, it's, there's all these different, different aspects that people don't even get to understand. And I wonder, um, when you, did anything change as far as your identity when you were, went to college? Was that, or was there a point where, because I feel like when I w- went to college, I didn't really talk about being Native. And then as I got more and more confident, I was like, no, I need to tell people that this is about who I am. Or did, did was there a turning point for you? Or was it kind of just something you always were pretty, pretty vocal about? I think it definitely, you know, not growing up in my community, it's, you know, again, unfortunate, but I, I didn't have that right to, you know, to do that. But, but I, so I continued to, you know, search and talk to my parents, my grandparents, and aunties and uncles about um, our history and our identity. And so I think when I went to college, it, it was interesting because if you talk to a lot of athletes and Native athletes, um, and just athletes in general. I work with a lot of student athletes here yeah. where that athletic identity really engulfs the other identities, right? Mm. Like, I'm an athlete first. Yeah. Everything is pushed aside. Um, but it's interesting when you when you speak with and have conversations with Native athletes, that's not the case. It's like, yes, I'm an athlete, but that my Native identity is always at the forefront. Yes. Um, and I think that's a really different than other communities um, and other populations where it's so important. We're do you know we're doing our sports to to exert our identity and to give yes. back to our communities and to be role models. Um, it's an expression. So I, yeah. So when I went to Davis, um, I feel like my identity as a Choctaw woman became so much more profound and prevalent. And I felt that I could express that and share that more. I think I, you know, I, I, I majored in Native American studies. Um, I was the chair of our, you know, Native um, Student Union. I chaired the powwow. I mean, I just, like, went full force into it as well. Yeah. Like, tennis. Um, but I realized... And there wasn't that many of us natives on campus, and I think it, I found, a, you know, a community one that I that I didn't have um, growing up per se, um, and so I really I feel like I found my space 
and then that really gave me um, not the confidence, but just more of the motivation. Like I need to go back home. To, I need to go to Oklahoma. I need to give back in a way because I didn't grow up there. So what can I do to give back? Um, and how can I be a good productive member of my community, even though I'm not living there per se? Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's, it's so, it's so interesting to think about, I think, because I agree with you that most athletes, it's athlete first, and then whatever, yeah. you know, student or whatever next, but for native athletes, it's, the sport is kind of just a way to express their, their identity, their native identity. It's another way and it's another outlet for that. And um, that's so great. And I also wanted to come back to you, you mentioned the deficit model, and it's something that I'll never forget, it was like a light bulb moment for me when I started reading about this because I was like, it's something that's so ingrained in all of it, uh, us too, you know, like I was even framing my questions with native peoples in that kind of way of like, oh, how did you overcome this struggle or, you know, and I don't, people don't really understand that, I don't think. Like, do you do you want to talk any, anything more about that? Yes, definitely. So yeah. if you look at, I mean, and you and I, we being in academia, of course, we have to read a lot. We enjoy reading a lot. Yeah. We have to. But um, just the literature, if you read anything, in books, anything about Native, if you look at education, health, economy, politics, even sports, it's always from, like I said, what... You know, if we look at the low numbers of just Native students pursuing in higher education in general, and it's always, well, you know, what's going wrong in their communities that are, you know, impeding these students from pursuing a higher education? Mm-hmm. Other, rather than, really, obviously we have to look, and I think people are taking it, too, from history starting today, so we're not looking at these you know, 500 years of colonization, assimilation, these federal, these federal policies that were put in place to, you know, one size fits all to really either assimilate, kill off, or hoping that Native people would disappear. So continuing to, to overcome those, but a lot of people don't talk about that, right? And I think a great example of what happened, what's going on right now is, um, I know in New Mexico, I saw this online, a middle school teacher assigned her, I don't know what grade, probably fifth grade, sixth grade class to look at the number of Navajo people compared to the other general population in New Mexico and do a math assignment on how many Navajo people were infected with COVID compared to the other, the rest of the population without giving any context Um, and so that's just an example of looking at kind of like the poor it's still like the poor Indian you know what I mean and it's like when you especially with fifth graders and then you don't give context to why that is happening right the social determinants of health the equity issues the access issues um and then, of course, that's going to, in sixth graders or middle schoolers, elicit this, you know, kind of deficit thing, this deficit model. Um, and it's just very, very unfortunate that we can't, you know, continue to have a more positive conversation of what's going right. Yeah. And the sh- but, you know, the build sh- off, build off the resilience, the positive, because there's so much, there's so much positive and, and, and so many great things that are happening, um, but we always go back to the negative. Absolutely. The, the deficit. And it's, you know, it's in the writing, it's in our, the news, it's, you know, I teach in applied vision studies, and so I have a lot of classes that are liberal studies where I have a lot of non-native students. And I tell them, you know, I'm, I'm not teaching from that the history perspective. I'm teaching through the lens of indigenous peoples. And so what we talk about is not, 
know, it's not going to be pretty and there's going to be a lot of probably uncomfortable conversations, but that needs to be had. And I think they appreciate that and they think, why didn't I learn this in grade school? Why don't we talk about, you know, this? And um, it's just the way that our our system is set up, right? And, mm-hmm. Um, if you learn really if you learn about natives in in school, it's about basically the it's about like the Thanksgiving story, and that's you know completely or it's like like you said it's like the poor Indian, it's the drunk Indian, the diabetic diabetic Indian. It's it's right. it's never the resilient Indian. <laughs> no, and, and so and that that happened. So my daughter's in kindergarten. And, I'm not going to say the, the school or whatnot, but um, and we call it indigenous space now. Um, and I teach through that lens of yeah. the real story of what happened. But I, so my friend, she's Ojibwe, um, her son is in my daughter's kindergarten class, and we went and picked them up the day before indigenous break. And they both walked down in pilgrim hats. So these two natives walking down the stairs and <laughs> hat. And we both looked at each other and our jaws just dropped. Um, yeah. And, you know, I guess it's a little, it's maybe better than a headdress, but it, it's really telling our kids and our youth that our stories don't matter. Yeah. Right? And it's, era- it's, it's erasing our identities and, and who we are. And so you better believe my husband and I straight to that and we're working with the school now to be more culturally sensitive and um, providing lesson plans on around these holidays that tend to like I said erase um, native culture and native history and native real life experiences yeah and it and it frustrates me because it it's like you we shouldn't have to do these things right and like when you do it's like you're 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 being pc or you're being you know overreacting and i like just last night i was frustrated i was on twitter and everyone was talking about the land of lakes butter taking the woman off of the native woman off of it and um and like I just get so aggravated because people are like, just the same with the mascots. It's like people are like, I don't understand how this can be detrimental. Like I don't understand how advertising can be, you know, negative. And it's like that's that's the po- the whole point. Is like you you, right. you you like you don't you see us as a character on a box or a mascot, mm-hmm. and you don't see us as actual people, and you don't realize that that is. Um, and that's, I think the problem too, is like so much, so much of the time it's implicit. It's not, people aren't, you know, like, oh yeah, I've definitely am, you know, racist against Native Americans. They don't understand. They don't know that they, they're doing those hurtful things. So, and it, it's really exhausting to try to not only correct that, but then also battle that perception of like, oh, you're, you know, you're the PC police basically. And we're such a tiny, tiny population that it's like, it just, it's like David Goliath every day, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just, and one thing that I did see, I wanted to share with you, I hadn't had a chance to yet was I did a really great um, training with the indigenous 20 something project. It's called i20sp.com is the website, but they were talking about, and instead of using the strengths perspective, they actually called it abundance based I don't know if you'd heard that before, but I really like that a lot. And I haven't been able to find any like hard, you know, peer review journals about it, but I love that idea of like the abundance of our communities and our culture. And I think that is something I definitely want to start exploring. So I was really excited to share that with you because it, and it's, you know, and that they're they're focused on you know healing that intergenerational inter- trauma and something that I always re- look back to too is when doing the research around mascots and stuff like one thing that I saw was you know kids who don't think they're affected are by it usually are even more affected by it you know it's mm-hmm. even even ourselves we don't know how negatively we're actually impacted by these things so um, it's it's just all around, you know, a really so much of like, it's like a kind of an everyday battle, right? It's kind of. 
it is. It's you know, it, and especially like you mentioned for our youth, it's it's in their psyche that they don't understand. And I, like a story, my daughter, she she's six now. I think she was four at the time when she did this. We were watching the Saints against the Washington team was on TV. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, oh, are the bananas, the bananas are playing the Navajo. <laughs> because the Saints of the, it looks like a banana to her, but <laughs> the Saints are playing the Navajo. And I don't know why she said Navajo, but um, it's, it categorizes and it puts us in this space of a place of being stuck where we're not real live people mm-hmm. um, and so like we kind of chuckled at first like you did and then my husband and I were like that is so sad like yeah, like yeah. that's the only thing she sees that she and again she's not now she's helping talk about that she she could she could identify with just the terrible character of this native person on a mat on a jersey on the TV and she's not seeing actual native people like herself. Yeah. And that's that sport. And it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, and that's why I can't like bring it to myself to talk to my grandpa and like tell him not to be a Washington football fan. And there's something he sees in that that he connects with because he hasn't, he has, right. he has nothing else, you know? And so that's what makes, I mean, we could do a whole other hour on the, on the mascots themselves, but that's what makes that so, so tricky is that, and then we have our own schools with the, with the mascot. But I do think that throughout this, the one thing that me and you both kind of align on is that, I mean, on many things, but on particularly on sport and how that has been used, like in boarding schools and through, you know, traditional sports, like stickball, it's always been such a positive way for us to assert our identity and overcome these things. And I'm wondering, like, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but um, with the kind of outbreak of COVID and the pandemic, um, have you seen anything around there with sports? Is all right, I, I imagine like I know kids on my res are just outside playing and even like not even playing sport sport necessarily. You're like skateboarding, you know, just like trying to do stay active. Um, have you seen anything out there similar? Yeah, I mean, I think it's such. I mean, we're all supposed to first stay home, which we all should be doing, and right. I, and I agree with that, and. Um, you know, I think the nation as a whole, with, you know, I think it became real for me when they canceled the NBA and then they canceled their NCAA tournament. Like, that's because I'm such a, such a sport person. No, that was bad. Oh, no, I was exactly saying it was that it was like the Wednesday night when that happened that it was so funny because it was Wednesday night when this happened where I think it was like March 11th or something where it was like the NBA player like they canceled the NBA games that night and then Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson came out as having it and um, and then it was like the next day the NCAA canceled and yeah but go ahead yeah it was it was like that was the day it was totally like BC before then and now it's like post post sports cancellation for sure so so yeah so I think that's when a lot of us because we're such a sport nation and I mean we watch sports every night and we can't wait for the next basketball tournament and um so I think that's when I think I was like, wow, this this is real. And talking to, you know, other Native athletes and the community, I think that's a lot of people thought, oh my gosh, like they're shutting down sports. Maybe we better, maybe we better take it seriously. Maybe we better listen. But, you know, I think, and you talked about this with that awesome panel you did a couple weeks ago, and we talked about it, where sport is so is different for Native communities and it's like you talked about with that traditional sport I mean it's 
ingrained in our creation stories. It's ingrained in the survival of our communities with stickball, uh, with running, with canoeing, with toka, with, with you know, the respective sports for the community or region. And so it's always been something that we can't separate from who we are as indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we talk about the boarding schools where sports were, you know, meant to assimilate um, and show us, you know, how to be good, dignified, <laughs> uh, you know, white people. Civilized, but, yeah. Right. But it really did something else where it, it really asserted agency and identity where, you know, Native people could be, quote unquote, the white man had his own game, you know? Exactly. Um, so more of a, a moral victory as well. Um, and so, and just like what I talked about earlier, where the identity as an athlete, as a Native athlete, um, our Native identity is always at the forefront, and sports helps us with that identity and give back to our community. So, I've really been thinking about, and I know you have, just um, how this is impacting our communities on a different level. And we, you know, you talk about skateboarding, we talk about red ball, like now we talk about soccer and even golf, right? Red right, ball. yeah. Um, um, and how sport has always been a protective factor, right? Mm. It's one of those huge protective factors within our community, whether we're going to pursue a, a sport in college or not it, it's definitely something that we look forward to doing that we rally around so that we support um and so when you take that away right and it's been taken away from all of us around the nation yeah. um every american but i think it it has a deeper more significant meaning to our communities and i you know, i know a lot of people are still out there running which is good um, but it's it's definitely worrisome because when you combine that sport with you know, our our inequity and lack of access and um, and the other you know I don't want to say issues but other things that are going on that are aiding in the spread of coronavirus um, within our communities it's it's terrifying when you think about yeah. the mental health and you think yeah. about um, being home, like the domestic violence, being home as an abuser. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's all connected. It's all definitely connected. And I think you can't, you know, you talk about sport, but you can't talk about sport without talking about other things. And you can't talk about other mental health things without talking about sport. It's just within our communities, the spider web of interconnectedness is. Um, I guess it can be a blessing, but a curse sometimes at the same, at the same time. Um, and then we're, you know, we're social butterflies. We're social communities. And so I think my husband and I have been talking a lot about that, where you know, people just go and we socialize with ceremony or whatnot. We, you know, can't do that right now. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So then you think about the, the mental health, too, of our communities and it's, um, so much of our, lack, our the lack of infrastructure too, the lack of yeah. internet access. I was on a meeting yesterday with um, a group out at Hopi, and um, one of the young men said, "Yeah, I have no idea what's going on because I don't have internet, I don't have TV." And so, when you think of getting the education of staying home, right, it's hard to to get that yeah. information out to a lot of our communities because of the infrastructure and the, the lack of resources. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, so much, I, it's know, so much more than just a lack of running water. It's a lack of a total communication system. Right, right. And that's what I was going to say, too. You know, we talked about water and talk about, you know, equity um, and communities that have don't have a lot of water and are supposed to, you know, wash our hands for 20 seconds, but... What if we need that extra 10 seconds of water to drink or to cook with, right? And yeah. so just you talk about equity and um, equality is definitely def- def- different than equity, especially with our, our communities. And so, you know, I, I think the COVID is bringing up a lot of historical um like trauma and historical injustices are coming to the forefront 
and I, on a, I don't know if it's a positive note, but I think where a lot of people outside of the communities are seeing this, um, and I'm hoping that it will be a platform for Indigenous people after this, is, after we go back to whatever the normal is. I hope we're not going to go back to normal. The I new normal, yeah. We're going to be back to a better normal. Um, I think it'll be a platform for Indigenous people to assert their identity, assert their agency, assert our sovereignty um, in a way that we haven't seen before. And so that's what I'm hoping and praying will come out of of this heartache. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I would, you, you nailed it. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. And when they, you know, when we were, I was asked to be on that panel, I was asked to be on the panel for ASU. I was really, really glad that they, cause they were talking, you know, they were focusing more. I think the plan was to focus more on the global implications, but I really think it's always, you know, important to bring it back to, okay, what about our native people and what, um, you know, the inequities and what can we, you know, and it's like, there's a, I saw a lot of memes going around of like, oh, the native people have been through all this before, you know, it's like, it's, it, it, and it's, you know, some people say it jokingly, but some say it, but it is, there's a, there's a seriousness to that. And there is an importance in having just, just like you said, the infrastructure and, um, our communities though it are it's it's so unique because our strengths a lot of times do come from numbers and from our communities and the tightness of our of those relationships and um it's it's gonna be really it's 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 hard to see now and it's gonna be tough i'm sure the next couple of months but i do i agree with you i hope that we can come out of this stronger and um, with, you know, with maybe a little, you know, even a little bit louder voice, I think is always, right. always really going to help. And I, I do, I, I love the sport connection. I love that we can kind of use that to rally around. And I was so heartbroken to see like Nobby was canceled. And cause for so many kids, res ballers that's like that's their march madness right that's their like yeah that's their showcase and so it's like how to okay how do we you know this it maybe hopefully this this just this year but it's like okay maybe we can use this to like reset reevaluate how do we what what needs to change what 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 can we what can we do better so i hope that we kind of can take this opportunity to really think about those bigger questions and how do we really not only do what we were doing before, but do it better and maximize kind of our, like you said, our opportunities. And, um, that's, yeah, that's so great. And I just, I just am kind of heartbroken that we weren't able to, to do the inclusion forum. Cause I love the, the way that we're able to kind of open that conversation as well, but there'll be plenty of plenty more opportunity for sure. <laughs> Very well, and I think with the NCAA and the Inclusion Forum, I mean, I think we're just kind of knocking on the door, right. per se. I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um, with, yeah, yeah I... telling and telling that our, you know, our voices matter. The numbers aren't great, but our voices matter. And, you know, to me, being a social scientist, of course, I love qualitative research, yeah. um, and I think stories can be a lot more telling than numbers. So, um, just continuing to to kind of hound that in, and you know, I I sit on this minority for opportunity inclusion, and they probably are so sick of me talking. <laughs> I'm like, raise my and it's you know, sport has become, it's kind of a black and white issue, right? And so yeah. I all am constantly reminding, well, remember, there's other communities that maybe it doesn't work, you know, that that streamline of story or that streamline of showcasing is not, not going to work. And yeah. An example is I, my first meeting at Indy last year, I walked into our meeting space and the, there's, they have these, know that champion magazine that NCAA puts out right they had a bunch of different huge like posters all over the one room 
and one of them was the Florida Seminoles, and <laughs> a huge picture of the Florida Seminoles, and I just, like, shook my head, and I thought, you know, it's a prime example. I know they have permission to use the mascot, but still, that doesn't make it better to me. Um, so, I'm still working to get that removed in yes. another showcase up there. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, please. So, um, before I let you go, I did want to, so something I get often get asked, um, and it's, and it's, that's the thing is like, like you said, it's not, it's people have want everything to be black and white and a binary. And it's like, that's the native communities don't work in that way. And so I often get asked, you know, like what, what do we need to do to help native athletes get into college? And, I do think I love what I love about sport is it does provide that community. I think that's what so many of our native athletes need. But is there anything you want to add to like when you get asked that question, kind of what you what your go to response might be? Yeah, I think we need to one um, we need to talk about it. I mean, I think we can't just say oh it's an issue, but like you said, we need we kind of need to be that annoying PC person yeah. um, and continue to raise the issue. Um, but I think, too, I think we need to talk about and think about um, building that bridge from community to higher education, and it's not just a one-way bridge. It goes both ways. So working with community and working with our universities. And I will say, um, I don't know if you just saw it, but... We just signed a Navajo basketball player uh, for the women's team, JJ Nakai. Awesome. She she was transferring here from she played it locally at the high school and then went away and she's coming back for her last season. So I'm so excited. That's awesome. Um, because I know that's going to get more butts in the seats, and that's what we need. Um, and I think too that. Success doesn't have to be D- Division One, you know, or like exactly. SEC. Like it can be in our, you know, our in our communities. It doesn't. It can. It's Haskell. It's Tribal College. It's not. It doesn't. Yes, we want more at Division One, but we also want more everywhere, right? Yep. And, exactly, and that's. I think that's the thing too. If you you don't have to play in college to think you're going to go to the NBA or. MLB or NFL, like looking at what, I mean, I'm a great example. I got my college paid for, I got a community, I, I, I stayed healthy in my grades, and it really, now I'm a professor in university, and I don't think I would be here without sports. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be where I am without my sports. Um, and so just talking about the small goals and starting to have those conversations uh, with high school coaches, with, you know, high school counselors, um, and making making people aware and, and, and talking about the athletes that are doing it too, talking about getting away from that deficit, but, yeah. you know, saying, oh, well, yeah, there is a Native athlete here, and let's talk to her, let's talk about her experience, um, you know, and so... I think we have to, as you mentioned, we're a small community, and so we have to rally together, and we have to be willing to, um, you know, pave the way for others. And from what I've seen with Native athletes, I mean, we've had a lot of Native athletes at NAU, um, and we did have the only Native American head Division One football coach for, he was there for 20 years, but he's no longer here. Yeah. And so we have to be able to call on each other and support one another. And it's been, from what I've seen, and I know what you've seen with your work, it's like you ask and Native athletes will jump and be like, heck yeah, like who do you want me to talk to? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the beauty of it too. And I think that's the difference that we know. We're from different tribes, different communities, different experiences, but we're all Native and we want to see more new yeah. doing what they love, right? We yeah. want to provide them access to what they love. Yeah, and we have to, like, we can't put it all on the individual. I think we, our strength comes from being collective and community. Yes. And um, I think we always can go back to that. So, um, Elise, I... I can, I, can I just end with this quote that... Um, yes, please. I'll just make a shout-out. So I, 
interviewed Sweeney when he's he's a Cinnaboyne. He wrestled in college, and now he's a dean at Montana. But he's wow. awesome, one of my good friends. Um, so I always, um, <clears throat> he says sport is a metaphor for life, especially within our Native communities, and I, I agree with that. But I really like this quote that he told me. So it said, um, Sweeney says, sport combined with culture transcends people's thoughts. And I think the more we can find a space for Native athletes doing their sport, no matter what sport, it is their way. It is the avenue to college because it makes culture relevant. Absolutely. Um, and I really, really like that. So, no, I love that too. I can end with that. Yes, and we're gonna we'll need to put that in our in our article for our. <laughs> I think that's yeah. so great. I I definitely look forward to keeping up our work and it's just talking to you is like good for my soul and earlier I was thinking I was like I feel like I'm sometimes I feel like I'm talking to myself but I mean it's (laughs) it's it's so but it's just so refreshing and I hope that um, people listening can um, also find something that inspires them and in our conversation so um, I look forward to seeing you and hugging you whenever we get past all this craziness Um, good luck with the, the the girls and um just uh, stay healthy and um i look forward to continuing our our work it's it's it just it's it's so inspiring and so um like you like i'm i'm definitely feeling the abundance and the good right now <laughs> me too that was a great conversation and i appreciate your love and your support and to everyone out there you know, create that space and you're not alone. Um, and we're here to help and we're here to help, help create that access for you. So, um, just stay safe and stay home and, yeah. and, and pray and, and think of your family and your loved ones. So. Yeah. We'll get through this all together and come out yeah. even stronger. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Elise. It was so great to talk to you. All right, Matt, have a good one. You too. I'll talk. Yes, for sure. Bye.